Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And the Apostle Paul tells the church at Rome, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, come on somebody, but be ye transformed, somebody say transformed, by the renewing, somebody say renewing, of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, thank you for today. I believe that you have planted this word in my soul, and that this is what you have for me to deliver today to your people. I need your help. I'm asking you to fill me afresh. I'm asking you to take over my mind and my mouth and help me to preach your heart to the heart of the people. What you do in me for speaking, do in all of us for hearing. Open the eyes of our understanding. Open the ears of our spirit. Open our heart and our mind to hear, to recognize, and to apply. Stir faith today that we could take this and use it, that we could walk this message out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody shout amen. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout glory. All right. So I want to start today not with our verse, but I want to start by telling you about a little bitty video that I watched. A little bitty video. I mean, it's just not even a minute long. And uh, listen, I I know nothing about sports. So when I try to tell you what I saw in the video, I'll probably say it wrong. I probably won't get the terminology right, but you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I watched this little bitty video, uh, uh, an excerpt from a basketball game with the Wizards and Orlando Magic from December of 2020, the day after Christmas. December 26, 2020. Now, if there are any crazy basketball people here, you might, with that date in those teams, you might have an idea of what I'm going to share already because there was something notable that happened in one moment in that game that people have been talking about. So I don't know anything about sports, but I do know this. When I watched the video... The Wizards center, Thomas Bryant. (laughs) Thomas Bryant dunked the ball in the wrong goal, (laughs) giving Orlando Magic the points. Did you see it? Do you remember? Yeah, all right. He was supposed to be blocking the goal. From the player that was shooting from near the three-point line. And when the ball came across and he jumped up to block it, something happened in his mind. And and he, he dunked the ball. Now, part of the problem is that they were almost to the end of this game, and they had just switched sides. They had just switched goals. So there could have been some confusion. There was, I mean, obviously, there was confusion in that moment. And you could see his face. It was not even after he did it that he realized it. 
his body was already in the motion. So his brain does this, like he's shocked at himself. You know, he sees it before anybody else sees it. And his brain realizes it before it can tell his hand to do anything about it. He comes down out of the air, disgusted with himself. Can you imagine the feeling? I read the article in Sports Illustrated, and they said there are plenty of times throughout history when people have accidentally shot the ball through the wrong goal. They said, and sometimes it was really accident. They bumped it or something. They said, but we don't remember a time in the NBA anybody dunking <laughs> one for the other team. He lands, the ball lands and bounces, and one of his, I don't know who the player was, the ball bounces to him, and he just threw it at him and turned around and looked. You have to watch it. You have to go and don't do it right now. So you have to go back, and I should have. I should have put it on there. So I don't know. I should have had him pull it up. Anyway, let's not do it now. So he was supposed to be blocking. He was so disappointed in himself. He was so disappointed. You could see he was, I'm sure, angrier at himself than anybody else there. Now, he was still on the team. He still had his spot. He still had his job. But in that moment, he had not practiced his position. Do you hear me? He was still on the team. They didn't hate him. I mean, for a second, maybe they did. The biggest problem was the one he had with himself. So he still had his place, but that didn't change the fact that he had not represented his position. His practice was contrary to his position. His behavior was the opposite of who he actually was. It didn't change who he was. It just didn't match. It didn't make sense. His job had not flowed from the inside to the outside, and the outside did not match the inside in that moment. Do you hear what I'm telling you today? We have to practice our position. So your position, there is a difference between position and practice. Your position is your standing. It's how you stand. It's your, uh, it's your identity. It is your place. Your position is who you are. But your practice... So position is all internal. Position is inside, okay? But your practice, rather, well, I lost my place. Let me get it so I, I read it just like I got it. Your practice is your activity. Your practice is your behavior. Your practice is your doing, not your being. By the way, you are a human being, not a human doing. You're a being. You are who you are. You are what you are. And sometimes our do looks different than our be. Come on. So your, <laughs> well, God bless you. So your practice is external. Your practice is what everybody else can see. Now, while position and practice don't mean the same thing, 
your practice should be the proof of your position. Amen? While they are not the same thing, they are connected. When he dunked that ball, his inside was instantly not happy with his outside, and he didn't do it again. What he had done was not who he was. So he made proper adjustments to take special care that that would not happen again. He knew that the practical should represent the position. Who you are should flow out in what you do. That which is on the inside of you should affect and dictate the outside of you. Your identity should dominate your behavior. Who you are should sit in the control center of your activity and your behavior. You ought to look like who you are. People should be able to tell by watching your practice what your position is. And it ought to be so constant and so sure that even when you dunk in the wrong goal, the people around you don't say hypocrite. They say, oh, you can, that's not who they are. I've watched them too long. I've been with them. Please don't judge them based on one day, but please understand their heart. I can see that they're disappointed in this. Is this helping anybody? Who you are should flow out in what you do. So why is it that sometimes it does not? Why is it that our practice doesn't always represent our position? Why is it that sometimes we score for the wrong team when we are sold out to this side. This is the jersey that I'm wearing. This is my colors. This is the flag that I'm flying. This is the banner over my life. Why did I do that? Why did I respond that way? Why did I act that way? Why can't I break this cycle? My insides changed when I got full of Jesus. When I came to him, I repented from the inside. I I am born again, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and yet I stubbed my toe and fell, yet I made a mistake, yet I failed him. Why can't I break the cycle? I know what's in my heart, but I keep looking at this with my eyes. I know what's down in my spirit, but I keep listening to this with my ears. I know who he has called me to be and who he has made me to be, but with my outside, what's going on? Somebody grab your neighbor and say, what's going on? You see, why is it that sometimes it doesn't match? Well, there's more than one answer to this. There's more than one answer to this, a lot more than we can unpack in a Sunday. Now, I'll tell you what we are wanting to start, though. This is, this is a side note. This is in, uh, Sister Rose and I are praying about the right way to do this, the most effective way to do this. I think it is a crime that we come in here. I, listen, I don't pull a sermon out of a hat box, okay? I get on my face and I say, God, you know where the people are. You know what's going on in their lives. You know what's going on in their week. You know what you're wanting to do in our church. God, give me a right now word. I don't just want a sermon. I want a message. I want heaven talking to earth. I want to give what your Holy Spirit is saying to where we're going right now. I think it's a crime that we bring forth a, a sermon for maybe an hour on Sunday and then it's just over because that thing needs to be unpacked 
We need to connect the dots. We need to build on it. You need to take this home. You need to take the sermon notes and go home and study it out in context. And what we're hoping to do is somehow continue it where what God has given us on Sunday, that there is opportunity through the week to have question and answer. Where there is opportunity through the week to now take what I have preached and teach it. We come in and encapsulate a thing and spearhead a thing, but that thing needs broken down, and you need to know what was going on in their lives and who was saying it and who were they saying it to and what was going on politically and what part of the world. We need to, we need to tear this thing up. So we take what God has given us on a Sunday, and then we chew on it, and we get that thing down in us all week. And by the end of the week, we just didn't hear something that stirred us on Sunday. We didn't hear something that just inspired us. But now we've been equipped. Now we've been empowered. Now we have tools. We've been built up. So pray with us. Pray with us about what that would look like. So there's more than one answer to this question, why the practice doesn't always match the position. And part of the reason there's more than one answer is because life brings a lot of strange scenarios. Some things we just do in a moment of weakness. You know, that guy was not a bad basketball player. It was, a, it was just, a, we all do that. We do it without thousands of eyes on us. Come on, you do something goofy. You go in the kitchen to get one thing, and then 15 minutes later, you're walking around with something in your hand that's not that, and you can't remember why you're standing there. But you, don't, but you don't have a team standing around you mad that you scored the wrong. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we just do that. You know, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of confusion, chaos, and struggle, in a moment of hurt or pain, we act outside of ourselves. And many times we act like something we're not. And so there's a lot of different things. But listen, there is one answer that is a very general answer, an overall answer that is generally what is going to fit this pattern of why I'm still practicing what I'm not. And it's this. Now, understand, today I am talking to born-again people. If a born-again, I don't mean, well, I prayed a prayer when I was three. I mean born-again. I mean, you came to a point in your life, you were convicted of your sin, and with godly sorrow, you turned to him in faith and said, Jesus, I have no righteousness without you. God, I cannot go to heaven without you. God, I cannot live for you. I believe that your son took my place, and only because of him, and I turn to you in faith for salvation. I'm talking to born-again people right now. If a born-again person is struggling with actions that don't match being born again, the problem is not that the blood didn't work. The problem is not that you aren't really forgiven. You are. The problem is not that you're not saved anymore. You are saved. The problem is not in the heart, but in the head. The problem is not in the heart. It's in the head. The problem is in your mind. It's in your mind. Your mind is not the same as your spirit. Your mind is the it's the seat of the soul. It is the, the collective uh, processes around your brain and your thinking and your programming. And if you have lived, if a person was raised in chaos, children learn what they live and if your brain gets programmed to act a certain way and to believe a certain way and to react a certain way, you come to a church service, you realize your need for Jesus, you receive him, you get saved, your brain is not all of a sudden fixed. 
You are saved in a moment. You are holy in a moment. You are righteous in a moment. You are washed clean in a moment. You are on your way to heaven in a moment. You've got Jesus on the inside of you in a moment. You've got the Spirit of God bearing witness with you that you're a child of God. It all happens in a moment, but you don't forget the abuse all of a sudden. You don't forget how you used to live. You don't forget what you used to do to get out of trouble. You don't forget it. It's there. So in a moment, you get born again, but you spend the rest of your life reprogramming this, reprogramming this. And thoughts precede actions. Anything that you do is preceded by thought. So if there's a problem in your actions, there's a problem in your thoughts. Somebody said, when you know better, you do better. Whenever you do something that's not you, we can pick on the action all day long. We can shame you for the action all day long, and it will. you have to lay the axe to the root. We have to find out what is wrong here, and we have to begin to change that. So there are people that have truly received the redemptive work of Christ, and thereby, they have been placed in a position of righteousness. You might want to write down positional righteousness. But they have not learned who they are. Quit hurting that baby. But they have not learned who they are in Christ. They are somebody in Christ, but they don't know who they are in Christ. They are righteous, but nobody told them. They thought they just got a little forgiveness. You see, some people know they got forgiven, but they don't know they were made right. Some people know they got saved, but they don't know that they were changed into another human being. Some people are different, but they keep acting like who they think they are. You act like who you think you are. You have positional righteousness, but you're not operating in practical righteousness. You're not operating in practical righteousness. Years of wrong programming in the mind has not yet gotten on board with what God has done in the heart. They need to be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that they may prove the acceptable will of God. And that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. That's what it's all about. He says, brethren. He didn't say lost people. He did not say sinners. He's talking to saints. By the way, you're a saint. Know that. That saint, the word saint means those who are sanctified. That's what the word saint means. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a saint. That's what a saved person is called. Molly didn't know she was sitting next to Saint Daniel this morning. But it's true. And you didn't know you were sitting next to Saint Molly. But it's true. It's true. St. Angela and St. Karen and St. Corey and St. Summer and St. Lisa, uh, we think. And St. Stacy and St. Troy. And so I think I've been to St. Troy before. Anyway, that's, that's you. But a lot of people don't know who they are. You need to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. That's what's wrong. That's what it is. So today, I want to talk to you about positional righteousness, which you have, and practical righteousness, which we are pursuing, which is the outflowing of positional righteousness. Now, what does the word righteousness mean? Some people don't know what the word righteousness means. Some people think that uh, when you are righteous, it's because you live a certain way. But that's not what righteous means. Righteous is a term for your position. Righteous is a term for your standing. 
To be righteous means you are in right standing with God. That's it. You didn't do anything to become righteous. Jesus, by his sacrifice on Calvary, positioned you in his righteousness. You are righteousness. You, you are righteous because he killed you and gave you a new you. God does not save sinners. He kills them. When the sinner comes to Jesus, he kills the sinner and he rebirths them. They are born again. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. God does not restore you. He makes a brand new you. God does not fix you. He trades you out for a better model. He actually gets rid of the old you and gives you a brand new you. You are righteous, and you didn't do anything for it. When you got washed in the blood of Jesus, he made you right with him. You are pure. You are blameless. You are sinless. You are holy. You are whole. You are provided for. You are prospered. You are healed. You are well. You are complete. The moment you receive salvation. But now we got to work on this. We don't want our righteousness simply to be positional. We want to practice it. We want to work it out. We want our position to become practical, practical righteousness. Practical righteousness simply means living out the right standing that I already have. I was this before I acted like it, but I want to act like who I am. Amen? Praise the Lord. So I want to talk to you about practicing your position, knowing your position, and behaving in accordance with who you are. Somebody say positional righteousness. Practical righteousness. Now grab your neighbor and tell him you better practice your position. Because you want to be scoring for the wrong team. You don't want to be dunking in the wrong goal. Now, there is no disputing that being born again absolutely makes us and declares us absolutely righteous. Being born again absolutely means our standing with God is good. We're in with God. We're good. Absolutely. But there are plenty of saved people that aren't doing anything with their righteousness. Because we are right, we should do right. Let me, let me share this with you. I can't remember. It, it was one of the great Baptist preachers like uh, Ed Young Sr., one of, them, one of them guys, Adrian Rogers or somebody. This, this that I'm getting ready to tell you is not a made-up preacher parable, okay? This happened. I think it was Ed Young. There was a, uh, an old lady in his congregation. I can't remember if she was widowed or if she had never been married. I can't, I can't remember. Either way, that was the time of life that she was in. She was in the twilight of her life, and she was by herself. And, uh, I mean, she basically had lived in poverty. Maybe you don't want to say it quite in poverty, but she had always lived very, very close, very, very close. And she had a, a little bitty one-bedroom apartment where she lived and only had the things that she needed, only had the things that she could afford. And she was happy. She loved the Lord. She loved the Lord, and she was satisfied with the Lord. Her, uh, her job is that she had been a, a, a cleaning lady, a housekeeper, maybe even a maid, for a, an extremely wealthy gentleman that lived in their area. And that had been her work. For, for most of her life, and he passed away. He passed away. 
And so now she lived in this little bitty apartment. And uh, if, if it was Ed Young, Pastor Young came to visit her one day, to check in on her, to fellowship with her, to pray with her, minister to her, make sure she was doing okay, which we're supposed to be doing, checking on our brothers and sisters, checking on the elderly, checking, we're supposed to do that. And it's not just the pastor, it's supposed to be the whole church. Amen. And so he went and he sat down with her and he was visiting with her. And he noticed a, a very unique little piece of artwork hanging on the wall. And it really caught his attention. And he couldn't help but be distracted while she was talking. His eyes kept going to that little, that little uh, painting or drawing or whatever it was on the wall. And he said to her, he said, hey, he said, I can't help but notice. He said, that's a very unique piece of artwork that you have hanging on the wall. He said, can I ask what it is and where it came from? And she said, well, she said, the man that I worked for, who was a multi-multi-millionaire, maybe a billionaire, I don't know what it was. I think millionaire. She said, the man that I worked for, she said, uh, he was so sweet and so wonderful to work for. He was so kind. And she said, uh, we were really like, it was like family. I'd been there for so long. And, and uh, anyway, I always loved that drawing. And she said, he knew that I did. And she said, when he died, he left it to me. And she was so proud. She was so proud that he wanted her to have that. And Pastor Young said, may I look at it? May I look at it a little closer? She said, sure. And he went over and he pulled it down off of the wall. And as he was pulling it down, he noticed a little bit of paper sticking out of the back that caught his attention. He wondered, and he turned it over. He said, what's this? She said, I have no idea. I've never noticed it there before. Some of y'all are way ahead of me. And they laid it down on the table. And he pulled it out. And he opened it up. And it was the will and legal documentation declaring that because her employer had no other family and because she had been so good to him all of these years that he left his entire estate and all of his millions to her. She had been sitting poor in that apartment for years. And now nearing the end of her life, she had no idea that she was a multi-millionaire. Are you sick right now? She truly had it. She really was actually truly rich and wealthy and truly did not know it and truly did not live it out. The fact that she remained in that little apartment did not change her position. The fact that she had nothing did not change her status. But she never lived in the benefit of who she was because she didn't know it. Nobody told her. The Lord told Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. God forbid that I stand here before you every week and not tell you who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid. 
that I would stand here and not tell you that you are saved, that you are righteous, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and that you can be better, you can do better, you can live better, you can live in victory in your life. Because I'm pulling the wheel down off of the wall, and I'm turning it over and saying, what's this? And reading you what is yours. Find it. Find out, apply it, live it. She had all that money and still living poor. She was not living in her inheritance. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we also will be glorified together. Church, we are heirs of God. Our inheritance is the righteousness, the holiness, the purity, the cleanness, the wholeness, the completeness of God Almighty himself. That's our inheritance. We have Jesus right standing with the Father. We are right because he is right. 1 Corinthians 2 and 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. One of the reasons, you see, as Pentecostal people, so many times we think the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make us jerk and shake and fall on the ground. But can I tell you, the premier purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower victorious living. And the other premier purpose of the Holy Spirit, it's right here. He gave you the Spirit so you would know what has freely been given unto you. He gave us the Holy Spirit to teach us a better way. I'm saved in a moment, but I have to go to the school of the Holy Ghost to learn a better way. And the Holy Spirit teaches us, Pastor Vince, a way to live. He tells us the things which are freely given to us. He's telling some of us right now some of those things. 2 Corinthians 5. Here's one of those things that the Holy Spirit tells us so we know. For Jesus, or for the Father really, it says he and him. We're going to make it real plain. For the Father has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus knew no sin. We knew no righteousness. So Jesus took our place. He took our sin and became the sin sacrifice so that we could take his place and be a child of God. He took the sin and gave us his righteousness. There are people whose spirit belongs to him, but their mind is a million miles away. There are people who have placed faith in him for salvation, but they have not been transformed by the renewing of their mind. This is why you don't just pop into church once in a while to hear a nice service. Uh, Pastor, that was a nice service. Oh, thank you. You missed the point. I'm not interested in nice services. 
I am interested in finding out what is vexing and holding you back and clouding your mind and breaking through with the light of God and the sword of the Spirit. I'm looking to cut down cobwebs. I'm looking to dig stuff up to get the weight and the dirt and the rocks off of you that you can see the light of day. I am looking to bring you the transformation and the renewal of your mind that victory will reign in your life, in your home, raising your kids, in your marriage, on the job. I'm interested in transformation. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Transformation. I'm looking at seeing lives changed. I'm looking at seeing chains broken. I'm looking at seeing addiction destroyed. People come out of depression, but there are people whose spirit belong to him, but their mind is a million miles away. In here, they're as close to God as you can get. You can't get any closer to Jesus than Jesus inside of you. There are people that have Jesus inside, but their mind has not been given over to him. Our heart has been sprinkled with the blood of the new covenant, but we have not retrained our thoughts. That's in your fill in the blank. We have not retrained our thoughts to agree with his word. Your brain is not going to be transformed on accident. Your brain is not even going to be transformed because you said in church. You cannot be close to God because of listening to the preacher. The preacher is supposed to lead you to be hungry to get close to him. I'm supposed to equip you. I'm supposed to point you in the right direction. But you're supposed to go home and have a relationship with God. Listening to me is not the same as meeting with him. Now, I know collectively we meet here together with him. I understand that. But this is never a substitute for your relationship with God. You have to set aside time at home and sit down and say, God, I want to visit with you right now. God, I want to spend this time just hanging out with you, just being with you. God, I'm going to pray and tell you what I'm thinking, and then I'm going to open your word so I can hear you talking to me. And I'm not going to let it fall open and land my finger somewhere. I'm going to quit using the Bible the way a witch uses a spell book. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to get in and systematically, intentionally study it and learn what you are saying through it, not what I hope you're saying. The Bible is not up for in, uh, uh, individual interpretation. Now, individuals can interpret it. Well, I got this out of it. Well, I got this out of it. Well, the author only meant one thing by it. And he's the one wrote it. Come on, somebody. So we've got to retrain our thoughts, and it's not going to happen by accident. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, Paul tells the Corinthians, we are supposed to be casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God... We're supposed to be bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. So our position is righteousness, but what is our practice? What is our practice? How many times in life have you known somebody that lived in all kinds of mess and you knew that they knew better? You see, you see kids raised in the same house, and one does this, and the other one does this, and the parents are scratching their heads saying, we raised both of y'all the same. Come on. They knew better. They had the information, but they refused to put it into practice. What a shame. What a shame it would be for us as believers to have access to all of the power in the universe, which we have, and not even learn who we are not learn to live in the victory that Jesus paid so much for us to have. How sad it would be to not practice our position. How sad it would be to wear this uniform and score a goal for the other team. How tragic it would be 
to have this inheritance, all the riches of heaven in the safest of all deposit boxes and live as a lonely pauper while the world, while the world that we can have when all of this has been paid for, everything at our fingertips sits on our coffee table in a book covered in dust. How's that? Child of God, he's calling you higher. He's calling you deeper. He's calling you to go further. He's calling you closer to himself. With all of the preaching, with all of the Bible studies, with all of the fellowship that surrounds us here, with all of the Bible apps and the study helps that are available in the time we live in, literally at our fingertips, there are no excuses. No reason for us not to learn who we are in Christ and to transform our minds to line up with his word, to discipline ourselves, to yield to his spirit that we may rise up and practice our position that we may stand and practice what we preach. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Listen. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The world is waiting for you child of God. A copy of the will is hanging on the wall. The buzzer has sounded in your heart and the goals have been switched. You're shooting for the one that lies ahead. Go get it. Do you want to know, uh, praise team, would you come real quick? Do you want to know who you are in Christ? I'm going to tell you just a little bit right now. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are resurrected. You are purchased by God. You're adopted by God. You are born of God, born of the Spirit and baptized into Christ. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are chosen of God. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. You are kings and priests, sons and daughters of the Most High. You are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves you. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You are those that overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You are blessed going in and you're blessed when you come out. You're the head and not the tail. You are over and not under. You're created in the image of God, given dominion over the earth. You have power over the enemy to take up serpents, to tread on scorpions, to walk on the lion and the adder. You have the power to bind and loose on earth what's been bound and loosed in heaven. You are covered. You are signed. You are sealed. You are seated in heavenly places. You are in Christ and he is in you. He's given you a robe of righteousness, beauty for ashes, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He's opened your blind eyes, your prison doors, and set your captive soul free. You're a blood-bought, spirit-filled, fire-baptized child of the living God and it's it's time to practice your position. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Get on your feet and give God the craziest praise like only the body of Christ can give. Practice your position. Look like who you are and who you belong to.
It would be a good thing to tell your kids every, every time they leave the house. Remember who you are and whose you are. So I tell you, remember who you are, Simba, and whose you are, and whose you are. He lives in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today, and maybe that's not who you are. Maybe he doesn't live in you. Maybe you have never placed faith in the finished work of Christ. And maybe you say, if I get Jesus, I can be all that? You will be. Instantly, in a moment. You come to him and you say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm sorry. But I know you love me. I know, Jesus, that you died for me and took my place. I know you offered your righteousness for free. I've got nothing to offer you but my sin. He says, I'll take it. What a deal. What a trade. What a trade. He said, you bring me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. We get the better deal. And that's what you do. You come to him and say, God, I've got nothing to offer you but a mess. God says, I'll take it because he loves you. You don't deserve it, but you're worth it. You're worth it to him. You're worth the darling of heaven leaving and coming here and being nailed to a cross. He said, worth it. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It brought him joy to think he would get you. So he endured the cross. If you've never done that, but you want to, you say, yeah, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to be born again. I want to be all those things. Come right now. Step out from where you are. Forget what everybody in this room thinks. This is you and God. Judgment day honesty. This is between you and God. Step out from where you are and come and stand with me. And I will lead you in a prayer as you express faith from your heart in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Would there be even one? Don't wait. Come right now. And God receives you. God receives you. If you're watching at home, you don't have to be in this room. Call on him where you are. Lord Jesus, I want what that preacher just said. I am sorry. And I offer you myself come into my life come into my heart come into my spirit change me kill the old me and live live your life in me in Jesus name in Jesus name thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast we hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.